The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and Happy New Year to everyone. It is a great year this year, because this year is the 20th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and you are going to hear me saying that all year, because it is so important to all of us with disabilities. You know, today I got to talk to a very dear friend of mine, earlier this morning, and that would be Andy Imperato, the CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities. He is such a great person. And as I was talking to him, he was talking about how we need ongoing leaders in the disability community. And today, I'm very honored that we could start off the year with a Paul Hearn Award winner, the Executive Director of Disabilities Network of New York City, who will be receiving an award at the March AAPD Gala, and it is a very prestigious award, Lawrence Carter Long. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Joyce. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you, and congratulations to you, Lawrence. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. Um, Listen, before we begin... How about if you tell our listeners how you first became involved in the disability community? Sure. Uh, well, I was drafted, really. It wasn't by choice. I, I was, uh, as a five-year-old, I was uh, picked out to be a uh, poster child, what we used to call poster child, for a fundraising campaign where I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I didn't realize until many years later when I began questioning, you know, that sort of poster child mentality, the huge impact that it would have on my development. Since that time, I I think high school certainly, I've always been involved in some sort of advocacy, whether it was Native American issues or animal protection, which I was involved in for for over 15 years, or uh, even fighting for the oppressed peoples in Tibet or Burma. So, you know, it was sort of being in that position of being the other, and being used largely as a prop for somebody else's campaign that caused me to question the way things were and the way things should be and what my role could be in making a difference and making some of those changes. So I was, I was really on the – I always had my ear to the ground, but I was on the fringes of some ADAPT actions in the early 1990s, and I did some writing for the disability rag and ragged edge, but uh, up around the time the ADA was passed. But I really wasn't truly active in disability rights or disability advocacy until about five years ago when I left the work I'd been doing around media advocacy and animal protection to come to the Disabilities Network of New York City. And, and that was by choice. Uh, I, I was, again, always watching how perception of disability was played out or seen in the media, since media is so powerful, as you know, and 
had went to the movies to see a film called Million Dollar Baby, and I don't I don't want to give away any spoilers for people that uh, that haven't seen the film. But there's been a lot of controversy around it, and there's a disability angle, and and at the end of the film, uh, which had a very tragic ending, the audience applauded. <laughs> they broke into applause, and I thought, wow, if this is what people think about the reality of disability. There's a lot of work to do, and I simply couldn't stand on the sidelines anymore. It was time for me to get involved in a in a real way, in an active way, and uh, and then try to make a difference with whatever I could do. You know, I can't believe you used that example because Marka Brister called me at, right after she saw that and said, I just saw a movie, and as a person with quadriplegia, you should see what they think of us. So you know what that that is uh that is amazing that you know that that happened and I do by the way agree with you 100%. You said when you were younger you were used as a poster boy. What what do you mean? Well, I there is a, a what used to be called the United uh the United Fund uh, which is now the United Way, you know, they have local chapters and local campaigns in communities all around the country and they do very good work. I'm not um, casting any stones toward toward a lot of the community work that they do, but I I sometimes worry and and as many folks uh, uh are concerned about the ways in which disabled people are used in those campaigns. It, mm-hmm. it often seems like sometimes the the messaging, while not spoken this overtly, is sometimes like you don't want to end up like this messed up child, do you? Well, send us a check or send us a money order, and someday, some way, there's a cure. It's just around the corner. It's been around the corner for 40 or 50 years. We're going to find it. But but the 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 I think the subliminal message. Um, to a lot of those campaigns where where pity is used and tragedy is used um, almost says that disabled people shouldn't exist and and I think you know there's the larger social uh, cost of that which can be very destructive and I think more importantly and this is certainly what I had to deal with for many years is the personal impact of that I think because of my experience as a poster child where that was the messaging that was sort of put out there I didn't identify as a disabled person I didn't really want to have anything to do with disability because to my understanding which was you know brought about in my formative years I was five years old um, was disability was bad, and and that I needed to get away from that and, and distance myself from that, and and for many many years, in fact most of my life, I did not identify as a disabled person. I didn't really do disability advocacy, and I can see now looking back how that really harmed my development and kept me from taking part in. The, the social justice issues and the changes that we're all now working to do. So I think that can be very harmful in keeping people away from advocacy movements and civil rights movements like, like the disability rights movement and keep them distant from this fantastic community that I'm blessed to now be a part of. Well, you know what? We're blessed to have you. I just love that passion you have, i got to tell you. Because you know what, folks? This is what I say. If you see we have this high unemployment, if you see, as Lawrence is talking about, how we are depicted in society, and it doesn't fire you up to do something, we're in trouble. We really are. Because you really have to stand up. No, As I tell people all the time, no more waiting. No more waiting. It's time for us to be the change. We're not waiting for other people. We have to be the change. We have to make the change as Gandhi would say. Well, listen, Lawrence, how about this Disabilities Network? 
Now, how did you get involved with them? Well, about that time, uh, around the time that I'd, that I'd seen the film and got fired up as a result of it, you know, I, I got really angry. First, I was somewhat uh, saddened, and then I got angry about that and said, okay, what do we, what do we need to do about this? Uh, I started looking around for disability organizations that were doing innovative work, that were doing something maybe a little bit different than hadn't been done before. I've, I've never really been interested in, in, in reinventing the wheel. The wheel works perfectly well. And so uh, uh, one of the, the really first groups that I came in contact with, having just recently moved to New York City, was a group that had just been formed a couple of years before called the Disabilities Network of New York City. And what was unique and what continues to be unique about the Disabilities Network is we really tried to recreate the model for advocacy in that we, our mission was to bring together people primarily around, uh, when we were formed, physical disabilities and sensory-related disabilities to form a coalition of groups and organizations. So whether you were, you were blind or deaf or had a, a, a mobility impairment or epilepsy or whatever your condition may be, the idea was that there is strength in numbers. And in New York in particular, unlike the offices of, let's say, um, what we still call here, sadly, the Office of, of uh, uh, you know, Mental Retardation and Developmental Disability, which, uh, uh, you know, had billions of dollars in their budget, there was nothing akin to that on a city uh, uh, level for people with physical or sensory-related disabilities. So the idea was let's bring these people together and let's see what we can do in putting together a disability policy agenda that we then take to city council members, that we take to, uh, to, the, to the mayor of New York City and to assembly members and senators and so forth and say, this is what we collectively want to see you work on and put you know, dollar figures behind those and really make it something that's meaningful. That hadn't been done before. What, what had really happened is you had a lot of great groups. We've got uh, 70 different organizations and thousands of individuals that are members of the Disabilities Network, which make this work. And, but what had happened before is you had independent living centers, you know, struggling to get by and fighting the, the budget cuts that were always happening. You had condition-specific groups that would work on either uh, mobility issues or, let's say, access issues in, in terms of whatever their conditions might be. But there was no way of coordinating those efforts or bringing those efforts together so that everybody could learn from each other and then make a bigger difference for all concerned. Yeah, and so that is the reason you became involved. Now, this Disabilities Network, how how large is it, and what is your mission there? Well, like I said, we're we're growing all the time. It, it was a bit of a struggle when I initially came on board um, with the Disabilities Network in in uh, just 2005. So. Um, uh, not, just about not quite five years ago, I was the network coordinator, and my job at that time uh, was to go out to these other organizations that are in all five boroughs of New York City and really sell them on the idea and why it was important for all these groups to come together and how we could have strength in numbers and a larger voting block and, and have politicians in the city pay attention to us in a meaningful way rather than just, let's say, a photo opportunity at a, at a press release or something when it might benefit them. We wanted to see it benefit us. And, and so, you know, uh, since that time, we've got over 70 different organizations. We've got thousands of individuals. It was difficult at first because people, if you've had to fight and scrape and scratch and claw your way for, for any little um, uh, support and assistance you can get, 
there's a tendency to develop sort of a bunker mentality, right? If I give up mine, a little piece of mine, so that you can get yours, then what's that leave me with? And, and you know, people with disabilities have been taught, and I think there's a culture that fosters that mentality. And so while it was an uphill battle at first to try to say, wait a minute, that, that might be what they want you to believe, let's see if we can do this differently. I didn't know if it could work. Nobody knew if it could work. But there was a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of passion for let's try, you know, for trying it out and giving it a shot. And, and since that time, it just last uh, July, we were able to hold the first New York City Disability Summit. We brought together um, um, over 100 people from different organizations across the five boroughs. We even had on the uh, DS there uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg and Comptroller Bill Thompson, who were both running for mayor at that time, and seldom wanted to be in the same room, much less the same stage. So um, I think that shows the broad-based and growing support uh, among the community at large and politicians, the understanding that they have now toward people with disabilities as a voting block and as a constituency. But it's taken, it's taken a lot of hard work among all the member organizations and our committees in each of those areas and transportation and housing committees to make that happen. Your website. What is your website? The, the website for the Disabilities Network is, uh, and we're revising it right now. We should have something new up there. I'm going to warn uh, the listeners, but we're, we're working on it now. It's dnnyc.net. Uh, so you can make that connection, net and network. So it's simply the initials of the organization, uh, dnnyc.net. People can go to the website and uh, and they can they can write me there, uh, get any information about a lot of the work that we've done from the website as well. So I think what the network has done and what's really important uh, and in our approach is that we not only bring advocacy groups or uh, condition-specific groups together, you know, including frontline groups like, let's say, Disabled in Action in New York City, but we also work to bring together the government officials, the uh, staff of elected officials and public servants, and industry together so that we can find meaningful, so meaningful solutions. So it's you know, the model that we're, we're sort of grown accustomed to, I think, in terms of ad advocacy work is you've got the advocate standing outside on the street with a placard saying, change this or change that or we don't like this. Um, what we've tried to do is figure out who the players are in city government or in city planning and even in industry like we did with transportation. You know, there are uh, 270 wheelchair accessible taxis in New York City of, of, of 13,000 taxis. And when I started at the Disabilities Network, there were only 25 wheelchair accessible wow. taxis. And we've started, you know, one of the things that we did, which had happened for the first time, was we said, okay, where are the breaks in this chain? And we realized that when groups had been doing meetings and when we'd been doing some organizing, nobody had, had brought the Taxi and Limousine Commission, which was the regulating agency, or the livery drivers. In New York City, you've got the yellow taxis, which everybody can easily identify, which you hail on the street. But in the neighboring boroughs, let's say outside Manhattan in Brooklyn or in Staten Island, um, what people do is they call their community car services, and you have to arrange those trips ahead of time. And nobody had asked them to come to the table, and I thought, well, if we're going to find a solution, it's going to be largely um, as a result of the changes that these folks make. 
And so we invited the Taxi and Limousine Commission, we invited the livery uh, uh, owners uh, to the table, and we're able to find some solutions through having that conversation that I don't think we would have found otherwise. And I think that kind of approach is really what sets the Disabilities Network apart. Meaning? Meaning that I think there a lot of groups often are, are you know, because of budget cutbacks or constraints, um, have to are, work primarily on, let's say, individual problems that there might be somebody, I know in New York City, there might be somebody who has an elevator issue in their building or they might have difficulty with their Social Security claim. That, that as a service provider, you're limited because of uh, staff time, because of capacity. Um, you know, you're mandated that you, that you work um, to, on those individual cases. We're not a service provider. We rely on service providers to come to us and keep us honest in terms of the work that we do, but we focus on the larger policy issues. And I think by, by bringing all of the players in, the service providers, the advocacy groups, the industry, um, government officials, we can get to a comprehensive solution that uh, might not be looked at otherwise simply because of capacity. Yes, I agree with you. Now, I want to ask you a question. We are live, folks, on Twitter, and, of course, we have everything out on Facebook. A question that came in for you is this. Lawrence, uh, what would you say gave you the courage to stand up and talk about disabilities the way you do? I think I felt a responsibility. Uh, you know, when I looked around, I mean, first I, I saw, you know, I, I was somewhat aware of the issues because I'd been paying attention. But after seeing the film, I really started digging into the work that groups like the AAPD were doing nationally and, and what individuals were doing, groups like ADAPT were doing on the front lines. And, you know, when you notice that there's a social injustice, when you see that there's a wrong there was this compulsion to say, well, I've got to do something about this, that there was an obligation and a responsibility to, to step forward or roll forward or however one does it um, to, to try to make an impact. And I knew, um, just looking around, the, the uh, degree of talent and the incredible advocacy folks that we have here in New York City uh, as part of the network and their own organizations, there, you know, there are a lot of people out there that, let's say, have been at this much longer than I, that, that are stronger in policy, that have an established relationship um, with government officials or their staff. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I had to take a step back and say, where can I be useful? And where can I apply the skills that I've acquired in these other areas to, to maybe be of benefit to the disability rights community? So, so in that, I didn't want to try to duplicate the fantastic work that other people were doing. I, I was really trying to find a way to bring my skills to the table so that I could uh, have a meaningful uh, inclusion in some way. So, you know, that's when we started looking at, okay, if there, there wasn't something that was being done, like inviting the industry to the table, we wanted to try to do that or hold something like Summit where everybody could be together in the same room to um, discuss those issues and come up with priorities. I, I felt that, you know, that was an area where the, with all the wealth of talent and the, and the wealth of knowledge in New York City, I could maybe have a role in coordinating that so that it could benefit everybody else. So it was really uh, when you understand the landscape and understand the repercussions of not doing the work, there were no other options that I simply had to. Yeah, it was really just your realization of the way things are. Absolutely. The light bulb went off, you know, yeah. and, and so I'm looking around and, you know, here we are, 
uh, nearing the 20th anniversary of the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And, and as a nation, I think we have yet to fulfill the promise of the ADA. I think that that's, that, um, that we all need to take part in that, that it, that, you know, what benefits one of us benefits all of us, as the saying goes. And if there's, uh, some sort of role that any of us can play that we, we really have a need to do that. We can't wait any longer. And, and I think there, there can be a sort of poverty mentality, especially, you know, if you haven't been involved in uh, efforts like uh, like we're doing here for a long time. You know, I hadn't done disability work before, even though I've had cerebral palsy since birth. I really questioned, well, what can I do? How can I do it? And the the most important thing for me and the lesson I really learned uh, in those early days, which which still serves me today, is just throw yourself into it. Throw yourself into it. Um, try to find some things that you're passionate about, that you th- that you want to do, and other things will come about as a result. I can see why you won the award. I just want to take you around everywhere with me. You know that? <laughs> I want to take you everywhere. Just let you talk. Because, folks, this is a civil rights issue. It really is. And whenever I hear them say that in the federal government that the employment of people with disabilities is less than 1%. Come on. That's terrible. That's terrible. And when you think about so many other issues that are going on right now, as Lawrence said, if people with disabilities are left out enough, marginalized enough, pitied enough, made to feel as if they don't count enough, let me tell you what happens. Then everyone else starts to feel that way. Absolutely. With disabilities. And then we get nowhere. Then we don't try. And you know, you've got to speak up. You've got to get fired up like Lawrence. Lawrence, your website again? Is dnnyc.net. And that is Disabilities Network. If you just tuned in right now, Lawrence Carter Long is the executive director. And, folks, I love to hear him talk so much. I skipped the break. What do you think about that? Well, Michael, the producer, and I skipped the break. Well, we've got to go to break now. We'll be right back. If you just joined us, once again, our guest today is Lawrence Carter Long, Executive Director of Disabilities Network of New York City and a Paul Hearn Award winner to be honored this year at the AAPD Gala in Washington, D.C. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't you dare go away. We'll be right back with Lawrence Carter Long. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you can't put down a good mystery novel, you'll want to check out Mystery Matters with Fran Stewart. Each week, you'll hear from the top mystery writers of our time. From suspense thrillers to forensics, you'll explore all of the categories that make a great mystery work. Not only will we discuss the secrets of the story, but we'll go behind the novel to sort out all of the pieces of the puzzle. Broadcast live each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Mystery Matters, where murder is an open book. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. Hey, if you just tuned in... We have as our guest today, Lawrence Carter Long, who is Executive Director at Disabilities Network of New York City and a Paul Hearn Award winner from AAPD. And I think we have a caller on the line. Hello? Yes, go ahead. This is David Hale with uh, the American Association of People with Disabilities. How are you, Joyce? Hey, David, how are you? I'm quite well, and uh, I was so uh, honored and happy to hear that you were having Lawrence on your show today. Um, And as the program director here, it's my privilege to run our Leadership Awards uh, program, and um, we are very happy uh, that one of those awards for 2010 will be going to Lawrence uh, in recognition of his tremendous leadership on behalf of the disability community uh, and his emergence onto the national scene as a, as a true leader. Yes, that is wonderful, isn't it? And, and David, what night is the gala? We'll be presenting uh, both of the uh, Hearn Leadership Awards at the gala, uh, which is March 10th, uh, Wednesday, March 10th of 2010. Uh, this year we're going to be uh, hosting the gala at the Ronald Reagan Building here in Washington, D.C., and I just saw Joyce uh, photos this morning of uh, what uh, the stage and scene is going to look like there. It looks incredible. 
this is going to be one of our biggest galas ever because, as you know, uh, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yes, I know. That is so exciting. That is so wonderful. And um, David is with AAPD, who is behind this wonderful gala, which I always refer to it as the Academy Awards event of the disability community. Uh, I mean, it is just the most <laughs> fantastic gala. Uh, and David uh, is a leader with AAPD, and he does a tremendous job there. I just want to say about this, AAPD.com. AAPD.com. It is not too late to buy a ticket or a table. Is that correct, David? Oh, that's absolutely right. In fact, we're, um, we still have table registration open now, uh, individual registration set to open soon, and we, we want to see uh, the size of our audience uh, reflect the, the real importance of this year with, with it being the 20th anniversary of the passage of the ADA. This is a chance for all of us to look back at how far our community has come and to meet in person folks like Lawrence who really represent the future of our community. That is correct. That is the truth. Because without future leaders like Lawrence, we aren't going anywhere. And I don't know if you had heard him earlier on the show, but I told him he is such a dynamo. I could just take him around with me everywhere. <laughs> Knowing Lawrence, he might take you up on that. <laughs> oh, he's a great speaker. And, David, I have absolutely also great news for you. I was at a meeting this morning in Pittsburgh, my hometown, uh, mm -hmm. with the various companies involved with Disability Mentoring Day, um, awesome. And last year we had a little kickoff event two days before Disability Mentoring Day, which is the third Wednesday of every October. We had a little event at the Heinz History Center where we invited, uh, you remember we did this before, David, and we invited, um, you know, people. To, the first time you were here it was at the Avery, Aviary. Now we're having it at the Heinz History Center, uh, and we invited, you know, corporations, corporate leaders, students, schools into this well they love it so much that we are having it again at the heinz history center and they are also going to be doing a program and display on the signing of the ada oh that's fantastic news what what and that is a testament to what the disability mentoring day program is all about it's about opening doors and making connections for all of us who are working in the space of disability employment. And, you know, I know through your work, you, uh, for those out there who don't know, Joyce Bender is the first ever um, Disability Mentoring Day coordinator. Uh, she ran the first program that was outside of the D.C. area um, in, in just the, the second year that, that DMD existed as a program. And um, uh, you have grown it to be one of the signature programs uh, for us around the country uh, and, um, you know, I think you're really highlighting the, the, what that program can do, uh, bringing together businesses and community leaders uh, together with, with job seekers with disabilities to help propel their careers. Oh, and, and it is the most wonderful event, third Wednesday of every October. Again, behind this, AAPD, www.aapd.com. And, David, it has become so fantastic that the Heinz History Center wants to do a video of the students talking 
about what it means to them, the ADA, and now I have the all the transitional coordinators. We're going to get a whole group of them together to give uh, assignments about this throughout the schools prior to the event. Wow, that's a great idea. I mean, uh, it is amazing how, just what you said, David, what can happen from Disability Mentoring Day. And that's, I feel the same way about the gala. When you go there and you see Lawrence receive this award um, and you see Donald do receive this award and you see this celebration, you will understand this is a civil rights issue. Hey, David, thank you for calling in. Oh, absolutely, Joy. Thank you so much for everything you do. And You're and welcome. Congrats again, David. Lawrence. Thanks, David. Thanks so much. I, 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 you know, I'm blown away by everything that I'm learning about AAPD and you know, what I think uh, you know, you're clearly doing with Mentoring Day and the Hearn Award by really linking this lineage of up-and-coming advocates and connecting us to our history is so vitally important and, and, uh, and, and really hadn't been done before on this level. So thank you very much, and I'm really looking forward to doing uh, as much as I physically possibly can um, uh, with the Hearn Award and with, uh, with you all in the, in the coming years ahead. Yeah, we'll see you in March. Okay, looking forward. <laughs> oh, um, if you so have much. a moment there, I think, uh, Lawrence, that we have another caller on the line. Do we have a caller on the line? If so, go ahead, caller. <clears throat> I can't tell whether you can hear me or whether there's a speed button. Uh, Feedback from, from my speaker. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. I can hear you a little bit there. <clears throat> the comment is that one of the problems that you are beginning to encounter is that you are accepting the medical model by virtue of restricting this human rights issue just to people with disabilities or primarily to people with disabilities or anything related to the idea of disability rather than mere diversity because what happens is that you are seen as playing the pity card which we all reject in the case of telephones and so forth and we find ourselves doing it. And I think that one of the reasons is that we, our broad base is restricted to those who qualify as disabled. And if you accept the medical model that there is such a thing, then you are getting in in a way that you shouldn't. Anyway, that was my comment. Yeah. Okay. Now, I just I don't know that anybody. I just want to say, I so much appreciate you calling in because I am a woman living with epilepsy, and if there's one thing that I detest, it is the medical model. Because don't get me wrong, I understand there, you know, there are people that have issues, but we're supposed to be a culture, a disability culture. We're supposed to be a culture, not a medical model, because that's where the inferiority and the pity card come in. What do you think about that, Lawrence? 
I think the caller is, is absolutely correct. I think it's a, a reflective of the mentality that exists out there in the world, uh, both n uh, among non-disabled folks and people with disabilities themselves. And that's one of the things that I think if we're ever going to get anywhere and we're ever going to progress in meaningful ways that we need to get beyond. But in order to really address it, we need to look at it head on and we need to really, I think, um, focus on it head on. We have to understand that that is the reality. And then we can discern and we can decide what we're going to do about it. You know, one of the reasons that we started uh, probably one of our most successful programs here at the Disabilities Network, something called This This which is uh, uh, kind of like a raised fist. It's a film series that we do to really shatter and explode those about disability, which kind of keep the pity card in play. Think about it, if you will, for just a moment. If you look at any, you know, they say that 70, 75% of the American public gets the news and, and their decisions are informed from television and from movies. If you look at something like Million Dollar Baby and the only depictions of disability that you've seen have been those of tragic individuals or even uh, sometimes superhuman in individuals, you know, who are all superstar athletes and the like, that leaves out the vast spectrum of disabled people who fall somewhere in the middle. And I think one of the biggest problems with disability and, and identifying as a disabled person is people don't see themselves reflected on screen. They don't see themselves reflected in the society. They don't see themselves reflected in city council. And so we need more people with disabilities everywhere in order to say that, you know, you don't have to have a disability yourself to have disability affect you. Let's look at it. It's the only uh, minority that anybody can join in an instant, right? You step off the curb the wrong way and boom, you're in the club. But we don't think about it that way. We think about those folks who are born with disabilities and occasionally those who might become disabled later. But it's, it's our friends, it's our family members, it's our loved ones, it's the people that we're dating. You might not think about disability until your mother, let's say, who been going to the same restaurant for 25 years, her hip goes out and she can't go down the stairs. All of a sudden, boom, disability is real to you. Or you might have a niece or a nephew born with Down syndrome or autism. Boom, you try to get them into school, disability is real to you. You get a brother or sister coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan, missing a limb or with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or a brain injury boom, they've got to learn how to navigate not only the city but their kitchen and disability becomes real to you. Most people, we've not been taught as a culture to think about disability in that way and that's a big gap in getting these policy changes done and it, it, it has to happen in City Hall but it also has to happen in the culture as well. So when we started this, this, the idea was to take those notions that people might expect with disability and shatter them. The tagline for it is, no handkerchief necessary, no heroism required. And I even had a reporter from The Hollywood Reporter say to me, well, what do you show then? And I had to respond, well, we like to focus on little things, half-jokingly, little things like plot, direction, uh, uh, you know, production, and, and screenplay, you know, the quality of the work. But sadly, 80% of what we show isn't filmed in the United States, isn't produced in the United States. I have to get it from elsewhere. But until we see it, people aren't going to understand that it's possible for them to. Um, I think we have another caller on the line. Brendan, are you on the line? Hello, Brendan. Go ahead, Brendan. Okay. 
Good morning. Um, good morning. Or good Hello. Afternoon, How are you today? I'm doing very well. Doing Thank very you well. for calling. Um, I just wanted to call in and to reiterate what, uh, what Lawrence is saying. Lawrence is also a co-host on a radio program that we do out here in New York called The Largest Minority, which is on uh, the second and fourth Thursday of the month on WBAI. It's also streaming on WBAI.org. Um, and we're going to be on this coming Thursday, but uh, at 11 a.m. I just wanted to um, reinforce and to, you know, you know, say amen to uh, what Lawrence is saying, because Lawrence really, I think one of the most profound things that, that he does, and he really fully understands this, is the, um, the impact of the cultural idea about disability and how people perceive individuals with disabilities. And um, I think the caller who called before, talking about the idea of uh, inclusiveness and, and, and diversity, it's something that we try to emphasize on, on, uh, on the program we do on WBAI, uh, because I think that um, disability issues are very often the same, uh, same issues as, as people who are not classically defined as disabled um, you know, face. And also, the, I, I think it's very funny, but it is very true that uh, the Hollywood Reporter guy would be so surprised that uh, you know a disability film festival would be concerned about you know <laughs> good movies as opposed to just movies about disability. You know. Yeah, it's sort of the disease of the month, right? The condition of the yeah. month is what people have been conditioned to expect. And exactly. we've done films about punk bands, uh, disabled punk bands. We've done things about, we've done heavy issues like domestic abuse or abuse of disabled people by their quote-unquote PAs or their caregivers. We've done uh, uh, work on the birth of the eugenics movement uh, in the United States and how, you know, the Nazis liked it so well that they, they imported it. Uh, you know, then, and, uh, two years into our, uh, our run, we had New York University come to us and say, we love what you're doing, would you please, um, uh, do it in partnership with, with the Council for the Study of Disability at NYU. So this is a cultural phenomenon, uh, in addition to, uh, sort of a political phenomenon and, and a policy phenomenon, and we need to really approach it on all fronts, I think, in order to be most successful. Hey, Lawrence, you mentioned that eugenics, are you talking about war against the weak? Absolutely, yeah. We okay, with, Edwin uh, Black Peter is a friend of mine, and he has been on the show uh, twice, and the producer of War Against the Weak was on. Yeah, that is they, a very powerful working with us film, this, this, They got the, the film captioned and even had it audio described. So they really worked with us um, and used the, the skill and the knowledge um, that we were able to put together with uh, Joel Snyder and, and the folks who do um, a uh, sort of a, another program called the Real Abilities, which is a, a annual festival that happens once a year. We do our, our series monthly um, to bring all those heads, again, bring all those heads into the room who have that knowledge base and make that film as accessible as possible to audiences, every audience that would want to see it. So, you know, it's really important, I think, and this is why, why in talking about the Hearn Award, um, I think it's so important is linking that history of, uh, of uh, how disability has been uh, in the popular culture with the, with the up-and-coming activists and the activists that have come before us so that we understand the past so that we don't uh, do, those, do those same sorts of things again, so they don't recreate those same problems. It's, most people don't know anything about um, how the eugenics movement started in the United States, and, and you know, it's important to know our history so we can move forward and not make those same mistakes. That is correct. I just, and Brendan, I, I, I want to thank you for calling in, and I want to tell you, uh, keep up the good work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you very much. I just also wanted to, 
you know, obviously represent the show, but to also say on behalf of the uh, the staff of the largest minority, congratulations to Lawrence on his award, and thank you very much for for having your show. So keep up the good work, and thank you. I'll let somebody else call in. Have a good All day. All right, Brendan. Thank you, Brendan. See you Thursday. Take care. Take care. Um, so, what did it mean to you there? Lawrence, what did you think when you found out you were a Paul Hearn Award winner? I was I was blown away. I was I was really surprised. You know, when when I got into this, I got into it because I wanted to make a difference because I wanted to have my role and figure out what my role could be in the growing and the changing landscape of advocacy in New York City. I certainly wasn't wasn't thinking about awards. So it, it, it but I think what what the what the Hearn Award is reflective of is um, the growing base and the growing uh, understanding of disability as a real policy issue and as a real constituency and as a real population. And whatever I've been able to do to help push that along, um, both in New York City and nationally, um, it's been my honor and my pleasure to do so. You know, there are amazing people uh, doing the amazing work everywhere, and I see the connections uh, between what we're doing here in New York City by bringing all those folks together and what the AAPD is doing on a national level. So I'm excited about uh, about the Hearn Award. I'm I'm completely blown away. I think you know that that the skills I've developed, uh, you know, I wanted to use those to further access and, and inclusion for everybody. I think receiving the Hearn Award affirms that decision for me to stop what I was doing five years ago and say I've got to do disability. I've got to find the place the one place in disability where I can do that work and really reach my potential, I think it affirms that decision that I have, but it also, and this is probably more important, holds me accountable to it. You know, it says, okay, you've made this decision, you've got this award, now live up to that, right, and, and, and do what you're saying that you want to do. So I'm grateful, and I'm, I'm really eager to utilize the opportunities uh, that the Hearn Award is, is going to provide myself and the Disabilities Network at large to take our advocacy to the next level. Well, tell me, how do you plan on using all of this? And may I also ask, what do you hope will be your legacy at that Disability Network? Well, I, well, a couple of things. I, I think that they, that, you know, we've excelled at the Disabilities Network by bringing all players to the table in key quality of life areas like transportation and housing. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, we've been able to work with uh, folks who disability advocates have been traditionally have been at odds with. So I'm very pleased about that. We found common ground uh, where that might not have been bound before. Um, and and I'm, I think I'm, I'm most pleased, though, um, about uh, how we've brought in new people both disabled folks and non-disabled folks alike, through innovative approaches to advocacy, by doing things like the radio show, The Largest Minority, by doing the this, this Film Series monthly, um, now at NYU, and doing training programs like Disabled TV, which is a video training project that we've initiated with uh, younger folks with disabilities to give them the skills to have careers in the entertainment industry or in the news industry. You know, one of the things that occurred when I came on board at the Disabilities Network, all those, all those, uh, those years ago, was that there was an employment training program that I sort of inherited, and it was training people how to dress for success and how to write a resume, but there weren't any skills. These young folks didn't have any skills to put on the piece of paper, and so they still um, found that there were obstacles toward getting those jobs. And so one of the things upon talking to the young folks we uh, really endeavored to do was to give them some skills 
And we said, well, what do you want to do? And they said they want to do television production. They want to do video. They, 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 they want to have a role in making sure that their lives are depicted the way they see it and the way they've experienced it rather than through a filter of, let's say, some non-disabled person. And, and we said, okay. And then we, we sought out the grant money. We sought out the equipment. We sought out the training. And, and we endeavored to make that happen. I think that if there's one sort of legacy that, that I would want to leave with, uh, with my role here at the Disabilities Network is that we made it easier for people to be proud to be disabled. We made it easier for people to stand up, roll up, sit up, whatever it might be, and say, yes, I'm a disabled person, and I'm proud of it, and, and in a manner that um, they might not have done before. You know, through these endeavors and through these projects where we try to take um, all of those different elements within New York City and find new ways to actualize them. I, I think having young people come up to me who are 19, 20 years old at one of our film series and say to me, I've never thought of myself as a disabled person before. They were very much like me, you know, that I always wanted or felt the need to distance myself, and now I feel like I've found my community. I feel like I've found my tribe is the most gratifying feeling that I can ever imagine. I, I just want to endeavor uh, to make it more possible for more people to have that feeling and to be involved. Well, let me ask you this before we close the show. If you had to tell me one thing you were the proudest of at this point in your life, what would it be? I think at this point in my life the thing I'm proudest of is the fact that I made the decision that that five years ago when I looked around at the, the landscape for people with disabilities, and I was frightened. I'd had a career um, doing advocacy and animal protection and doing some, some media advocacy work that I was pretty secure in. I had my spot. I had my position. Um, I think what, what I'm proudest of is the fact that I, I looked and I said, I can't, as much as I still am passionate about those endeavors and, and, and still work on those when I can, I think taking the step and saying, no, I'm going to be part of disability rights. I'm going to be part of this community. I'm going to find my space. And then making that leap um, has been amazing um, on multitude of levels. You know, I, I couldn't have envisioned five years ago uh, putting together something like the Disability Summit where we brought together those diverse, that diverse group of people. I couldn't have envisioned something like the, this, this film series which has been written about in the style section of the New York Times and has um, BSA Arts in Washington, D.C. and groups in the Netherlands um, asking me to curate film series for their um, um, viewers and for people in their communities. I couldn't have imagined taking part in a dance project like GIMP which has had us performing at um, the Kennedy Center and has us traveling to Ireland this year. All of those things uh, would not have been possible without the support of the community and the embracing of the community, which I'm now a part of, uh, which started with that decision five years ago. Well, that is something to be very proud of. So listen, in closing, Lawrence, and by the way, remember, Lawrence will be receiving that award AAPD Gala, March 10th, you heard it, AAPD, go to AAPD.com, AAPD.com, and look up the gala that, where he's receiving the award. What message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Do it. That's my message. I think if there, if there are two words, it's, it's do it. You know, there's no time to waste. 
there's there's no need to worry. The people are out there that can support you. The systems are in place that can support you. If you feel compelled, you feel an urge, you feel a passion to do any of this work, and for whatever reasons um, um, you've you've been held back or you you haven't put yourself out there because of waiting for the right direction, uh, there's no reason to wait any longer. Um, uh, do whatever it is you feel compelled to do. Call, write, um, contact those people. People will support you. They'll make it possible for you to do the work that you want to do, to be part of this vibrant, uh, emerging community that has just enriched my life so much. Um, uh, that, that would be the one real message, really, is, is, is take everything that, that um, you're able to learn and to gain and keep your, your, your eyes and ears open and, uh, and then find your way and find your approach um, um, toward being part of this community, and you'll be amazed um, at what occurs in your life as well. I will say this in closing, Lawrence, you deserve the award. And I will look forward to being there to see you receive the award. You've been listening to Mr. Lawrence Carter Long, Executive Director of Disabilities Network, and a Paul Hearn Award winner who will be receiving the award at the AAPD Gala. I have to end the show with a quote from none other than Justin Dart, Jr., who said, you have the power, live the dream. And isn't that what it's all about? Thank you so much for being with us, Lawrence. Thank you, Joyce. It's been my pleasure. I look forward to seeing you in March. Me too. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 